In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 19 to 23. Again, that is Acts, chapter 26, verses 19 to 23. Please open your Bibles to that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Let us all rise in reverence to the word of God. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated. We took a break from our series on the gospel according to John, and we started a mini-series, and we started with Luke 24, and uh, the latter part starting with verses 44 down to 49, where Jesus instructed them. Well, first Jesus explained to them, that the Christ, according to the prophets, Moses, meaning the law and the Psalms, that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead. And then he said, you are witnesses of these things. And then he instructed them in verse 47 of Luke 24, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all the nations, in his name, in all the nations, starting in Jerusalem, and wait for the Holy Spirit. Those were the words, direct instruction of Christ, of what they should say. They are witnesses of what? They saw the Christ alive. They saw the Christ suffer, and they saw the Christ rise from the dead. To renew their mind of a prevailing thought that the Messiah was only a political Messiah, he had to explain, no, you're only looking at some parts. But some parts you fail to see. And now I am paraphrasing that. And he made them realize such. That even in the book of Acts, as we have also discussed in Acts chapter 1, the disciples ask, when is it this time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that was prophesied as well. The Jews, since Babylon's invasion, did not rule their own country. They always had another ruler, a superpower. First it was Babylon, then it was Persia, and then it was Rome. 
And if you continue, it was the Ottoman Empire. And then it was the British. When was it restored in 1948? May 15. Imagine the length of years. So these disciples love their nation and they know prophecy. They know prophecy. Is it this time? And the response of Jesus was, it's not for you to know times that the Father has set in his own authority. But you shall receive power. Okay, don't think about that. It's not for you to know. It's not your place to know. Don't pursue that. Pursue this. You shall be my witnesses. You shall receive power. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. And of course, to paraphrase, to the ends of the earth. And we discussed, funny that until today, we're more concerned about prophecy than spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're more concerned about, is it now that he's coming? You've got several silly predictions since, what, the first encounter was, he will come back in 1988. Oh, and every now and then some cult leader or some misinformed believer who did not study the context of scripture or did not heed the instruction of Christ that it's not your place. What will happen will happen, but it's not your place. There are things that we will never know because it's not our place. But he said, but you should be my witnesses. To proclaiming what? What Luke said, remember that the author of the Gospel of Luke is the same author as the book of Acts. So there's an alignment here that the author is trying to tell us. The emphasis of being a witness. Then in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit came during the Feast of Pentecost. For the Jew, it's like a celebration of the harvest. But for us right now as a church, it was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, and Peter had the opportunity to proclaim, what did Peter say in Acts chapter 2? He cited Old Testament prophecies. He cited Joel. He cited David, the Psalms of David, that who? This Lord will, whose body will not suffer corruption. Saying that the resurrection was prophesied long before. So what did Peter do? Exactly as what Jesus said from the Old Testament prophecies, the Christ must suffer and rise again. Then he mentioned about the resurrection and he gave a strong statement there. Um, God made Jesus Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. No, I thought it was the Romans. No, because they shouted crucify. And they were afraid. Well, didn't say they were afraid, but you can surmise that. Can you imagine somebody telling you, you killed that man? Huh? <laughs> Me? Then they ask, what should we do? Then what did Peter say? Exactly what Jesus said. Proclaim repentance. So he said, repent. Repent. So we're saying here in this mini-series, there's a, an obedience to the direct command of Christ. Christ said this. Peter the apostle followed it. And you'll see it some more. 
in certain sections of the book of Acts, that there is a parallel here on how Jesus wanted them to preach. But of course, in, through time and in the modern day, we emphasize less on the resurrection and repentance because we think the crowd knows the resurrection, but we were instructed to always proclaim the resurrection. And the emphasis is not repentance, which is turn away from your sins. It's not just feel sorry for your sin. It's to turn away, to change your mind, to change your perspective. We have emphasized the other things which are not the direct command of Christ. We have emphasized more of pray after me and you shall be saved. Receive the gospel, which is nothing wrong with the statement, except that you have to explain that. Because if you're going to use John 1, 12, to them who received them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, what does receiving mean? Believing in his name. What does believing mean? If you look at John chapter 3, it means as well. Although the word repentance isn't there, it means turning away from wickedness. Maybe not the exact word, but it's the same meaning. So if one truly believes, they would have to repent. And one who truly repents will actually have to believe. So some say it's the same coin with different faces. Heads or tails, but the same coin. So when you mention heads, you're speaking of the same coin, which includes tails. So when you say repent, it includes believe, and believe includes repentance. Right now, I'd just like to share Paul's testimony that he, according to Luke's writing account, that he followed the same elements in the different places where he went. The title of today's message is Paul Preached Repentance, based on Acts 26, 19-23. When certain Jews from Asia saw Paul at the Jerusalem temple, they incited the mob against him. They attacked the apostle with baseless charges, sparking a riot in which some Jews attempted to assassinate Paul. Roman troops arrived at the scene to quell the riot. They arrested Paul for his protection. Then Paul appealed to Caesar's legal system to avoid being taken to a Jewish court, which was undoubtedly a trap. Thus, Paul made his defense before King Agrippa and Festus, and the latter thought Paul had gone insane with too much learning. If you read the whole context of chapter 26, when Paul was explaining about the prophets and the law, and then connecting them to Christ, and then the pastor said, you're growing insane with too much learning. I think some parents say that to their children. Don't study too much because you might lose your mind. Trust me, they don't study enough to lose their minds. What we need is them to study more because very few are studying. Uh, Paul included, take note. In his statement before these legal 
people or leaders who can set him free or not, in a formal setting, he would include resurrection and repentance. Same as Peter. Same as what Jesus said. In relation to the Old Testament prophecies, Paul justified his mission by referencing the writings of the prophets and Moses and his personal supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Just the background, Paul was the chief persecutor of the church before. He was zealous, proactive. And if you were a Jewish believer, because there were only Jewish believers then. In the early church. He will do stuff to harm you because he wanted to quell this new religious movement. Well, let's go back to the text. First point, repentance. Paul narrated what he proclaimed in Jerusalem, Damascus, and Judea, and the Gentiles, which was to repent and turn to God. Aside from repentance, Paul instructed that they should do deeds in keeping with repentance. Everything Paul did was aligned with the vision in Damascus. Let's read verses 19 and 20. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the, Jer the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. Okay. He went to all these places. What was he saying? What was he saying in all these places? That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Now, for the Jew, it's not new to hear repentance. But what's the difference? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, going back to my point earlier, Luke repeated a recurring theme, repentance. The Lord instructed his disciples to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name. You'll find that in Luke 24, 47. Peter obeyed the Lord's instructions by proclaiming repentance. You'll find that in Acts 2, 38 and even chapter 3, verse 19. Paul knew that the gospel includes repentance and resurrections. That's the main point. Now, if there's something you'd like to add to that, make sure those are minor points. For example, what do we like to add? We like to really paint that all your needs will be met in Jesus Christ. I would say all your spiritual needs. Yes. All our spiritual needs because we are damned because of our sin. We are all sinners. That's why we need Jesus. But if you make it too earthly, like in Christ, all your problems will be gone. I'd like to say that's a false teaching. It's wrong. Some Christian says, actually, I have, now I have more problems. But what's the difference? It's that relationship with Jesus Christ and that relationship with his word that despite whatever we go through on earth, 
He is with us as our comforter, redeemer, and friend. If you would like to add something, be careful you don't overemphasize those things that are not the main thing. The most of the discussion must be on the resurrection repentance. Let's not lose that because these are the direct instructions of Christ himself. That's why I don't like a lot of tracts. I used to use them a lot, but then I, I, I thought I need a tract that emphasizes repentance and faith and really explains the resurrection. Now, uh, I, you have to be careful with those lines that centering the discussion on the prayer that they must pray, the sinner's prayer. Some center the discussion on that, that if you do this, then you are saved. Now, my question is, shouldn't we follow first the pattern that the Lord showed us in Scripture? Um, that's my argument. Let's follow first the pattern. The pattern that was shown us. I think that's, a, that's the safest. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying with people. Definitely not. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray with people. I'm not saying not pray with them when they want to repent. Oh, you can invite them. Let's pray. You want to repent? Let's pray now. We all need to repent. I'm not saying that's wrong. What's wrong is when you now sound like it's the liturgy that saves. It's the practice of doing this. That is dangerous. Men, brethren, what shall we do? What is your answer if somebody asks you, what shall I do to be saved? My guess is this. These are your exact words for some of you. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, number one, the others say it, make him your Lord and Savior. I'd like to just slightly correct that. You have no power to make anyone Lord and Savior. God, according to Acts chapter 2, it is the Father who has made him Lord and Christ, not me. Now, if you're saying this, which is more accurate, I must submit to the sovereign lordship of Christ. You should mean that. Okay? I think the word submit to him is better. But, of course, that also means we have repented. Although that is all good and true, the main emphasis is still the resurrection and repentance. So let us remain faithful, my brothers and sisters, to the heavenly vision that God gave Paul. You know, here's the beauty. Peter, for example, lived with the Christ on earth. He saw Christ. Then Christ died and rose again, and Peter witnessed that. Now, Paul did not see the human Christ in human form. Well, when he resurrected, that was still glorified human body, but he saw Christ on the Damascus road. And here's the thing, they're preaching the same thing. They're preaching the same thing. How are they preaching? I will show you that Paul preached about resurrection and repentance. If you remember in Galatians chapter 2, that Paul met with the apostles to see, to compare notes. And the apostles had nothing to add to what Paul had to preach. Point number two, scripture. Paul experienced persecution from the Jews because he proclaimed repentance. 
plus the fulfillment of the writings of Moses and the prophets in Christ. Now, the Jewish people hearing repentance, that's a normal thing for them. However, saying that this Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, that's what they don't like. They don't like that. That's why included in our proclamation is not just fix your life or turn away from your sins. It is what? This Christ, which means Savior. But it's not just a Savior per se. It's the Savior that was prophesied in the Old Testament for thousands of years. So it's not just Christ as a Savior. It was planned by God from the beginning. The Jews could not accept that Jesus was the Messiah. However, despite the persecution, God protected and led Paul to the path God ordained. His life was always in danger, but it, if it's not yet time, it's not yet time. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so, we all have our time to meet our maker. Hopefully it is not today. But if you look at Paul's life, I mean, there were people who dedicated themselves to fast and they will not cut their fast until he's dead. Can you imagine that? What happened to those people? I don't know. It was not recorded. I think they ate. They just lied that he's dead. I don't know. I don't know. It's not there. But that's the kind of danger that Paul was. Let's read verses 21 and 22. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day... I have had help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, testifying both to small and great. And of course, these officers of Roman officers are great. Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So he proclaimed repentance, but he was saying nothing except what would come to pass. For the Jew, it was an important thing. For the Jewish believers to proclaim that based on the prophecies of Moses, the other prophets, and the Psalms, Jesus is the one prophesied, nobody else. And even to the Gentiles, Paul would write letters like in Corinthians saying, without the resurrection, we have nothing. There is no gospel. Because Christianity is not about just reforming your life. No, 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 no. It's reforming how you think that the gospel is the center. Christ is the center. We have to believe, as it is written in scripture, when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. It's not our convincing power. It's not how eloquent we are. It is what the gospel, which is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as prophesied in the Old Testament, Meaning he is the center of the Old Testament. And he is the center of the New Testament. It is about him centered on him. And we should proclaim repentance and faith towards him. Now keep proclaiming that. Because the power of the gospel does not rest on the one who delivers it. So long in my life I kept praying. Lord, grant me power. And nothing wrong with praying that the Lord give you gifts. Nothing wrong with that. But something, something was wrong with me. Thinking that it depends on me. 
What I needed to do was make sure the gospel is crystal clear because that is the power of God to salvation. Take note, in Romans 1, it didn't say the gospel has the power of God to salvation. Now, when it comes to salvation, it is the power of God. It is. The question right now is, do we believe in the gospel according to the scriptures? Paul cited the prophets and Moses concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord fulfilled the prophecies and proved to be the substance of the ceremonies instituted under Moses. He's the substance of the ceremony. He's the fulfillment. The prophecies of the coming, the Son of Man that is to come, who will rule forever and ever, according to Daniel 7. He is the Son of Man. That's why when we say Son of Man, it doesn't literally mean Son of a human. No, it's a title prophesied by Daniel that this Son of Man will rule for eternity. And that can only happen if you are an eternal being. And Christ is. Now, despite remaining scriptural in Paul's proclamation, I mean, Paul being grounded in the scriptures, the Jews would not receive it. Some would listen, but some would listen to the clear explanation. But others would remain blind. They will not listen. But, like Paul, our proclamation must be rooted in Scripture, even if many will not believe. Last point, resurrection. Paul testified that the Scripture revealed that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead. It is the same message Peter preached in Luke's account in Acts 2, 36-41, fully aligned with Christ's explanation and instruction. Moreover, due to the resurrection, what would Christ do? Christ would proclaim light to both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 23, that the Christ must suffer, and this is according to Moses and the prophets, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He was the first who rose from the dead in the sense that there was eternity in him. Now, Lazarus seemed to be the first, but no, he died again, right? It wasn't an eternal body that he had. That's why in the epistles, you'll find the apostle saying he is the first of many brethren. The first of us. Oh, because it is promised to those who truly believe by his grace, wherever your ashes have flown, or you're deep in the ground, or animals have eaten you, and you've become soil once again, if worms ate you, wherever you are, your physical bodies will be restored in a resurrected body. But again, that discussion is for revelations and Thessalonians, another time. Now, there's an important here that Paul mentioned. Because Paul now has a greater understanding than many Jewish Christians during that time. That the resurrection, the purpose of the resurrection, 
is not just for the Jewish nation. But there's a new nation, but not literally governed by us here on earth. But now the new nation, the new people, if you don't like the word nation, the new people is now comprised of what? Jewish believers and Gentile believers united in one. And that was a mystery to the Jewish believers. For them, that was a mystery. That oh, that's why all nations means all ethne, not all the Jews scattered across because after Babylon, the Jews set homes around the world. And that's why there are synagogues where 10 men are gathered there. They form a synagogue, a, a small group, a growth group, if you may, for a public reading of scripture. Such was their tradition. Oh, so it's, no, it's not just for us Jews who are scattered, but for the non-Jew as well. And I praise God for that because I am not a Jew. Uh, you a Jew? I respect you. But I'm happy. I'm a Gentile. I can eat pork. Uh, <laughs> uh, forgive me. Forgive me. I don't mean to insult anybody here. Uh, going back, resurrection is at the heart of the gospel message. It fulfills the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. It must always be an integral part of the gospel message. Always. Application, we must always explain Christ's resurrection in gospel proclamations. Well, uh, the gospel isn't man-centric. It's Christ-centric. Uh, let's not make the gospel about the person you're trying to reach out. Well, Christ died for those who should be saved, to those who believe. Uh, but it has to be Christ-centered. But sometimes we have tried to use manipulative techniques, sales techniques, forgive me. I was in sales and I could... Sometimes no, that's a sales pitch. That gospel was a sales pitch. It was not a proclamation of the gospel. Sometimes it's a sales pitch. Saying everything, why, 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 and it's all for man's benefit. Oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with mentioning a benefit, which is what? Forgiveness. The real benefit that Jesus said, repentance for the forgiveness. For the forgiveness of sins. Which means what? In proclaiming the gospel, we have to show that we are guilty. You are guilty. And unless they know they're guilty, you cannot, they cannot appreciate the mercy of God if they don't know how guilty they are. about Christ not us so don't manipulate the gospel God is good happy anniversary there's a parallel the instructions of Jesus the practice of preaching by Peter and Paul himself saying what did he teach what did he preach he preached about the resurrection according to Moses and the prophets. He pro proclaimed that Christ had to suffer. But then what did he say as well? 
commanding them, telling them to repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. The Gospel of John did not use precisely the word repentance, but you find there stories like Jesus saying, go and sin no more. You find them saying that they're not in the light because their deeds are wicked. But those who believe are in the light, saying that the one who truly believes is in the light. In fact, when you go to Acts chapter 10, Peter would mention the resurrection, but he will also use the word believe instead of repent. That's why we say, did he change? No, it's the same message. But to them, the word repent and believe are the same things. Because repentance is not just feeling sorry. It's a change of mind, a change of perspective. I close to give you highlights. One, don't forget, Paul declared that Jews and Gentiles should repent and turn to God. Two, the Old Testament prophesied and foreshadowed that the Christ should suffer, die, and rise from the dead. Three, Paul's message is aligned with the explanation and instruction of the Lord to his disciples found in Luke 24. And now I give you a poem entitled, entitled Unrelenting. Whether small or great, Paul would speak. Would be good to listen and seek. The rich and the poor should listen the young and old men and women. There was a heavenly vision directed Paul to his mission. The mission was to the Gentiles. He would then travel many miles. Yet he still reached out to the Jews, but most of the Jews would refuse. Despite clear reasons from scripture, the Jews seemed so proud and so sure. Like Peter, Paul proclaimed repent. One clear reason why they were sent, that is to proclaim repentance, which is part of the main substance. Repentance in the name of him who can forgive all of your sins. And the one who rose from the dead, Paul knew that this message should spread. We should speak of resurrection but we should expect rejection because not everyone will repent. Despite this, we will not relent. Let us all rise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the light that shines in the darkness and you're the light that shines upon us through your word. We thank you for your message. Lead us to repentance. If you're here right now, you said, I have not repented. Hindi pa ako tumalikod sa mga kasalanan ko. Right now, just in your heart, repent of your sin. And saying, Lord, I believe in the resurrection. He suffered, he died because of my sin. And he rose again from the dead, defeating death. Meaning I believe that he offers eternal life. Only he can give eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Allow us not to deviate from the simplicity of the pattern. And whatever we may use, tools we may use to make it more clear. Teach us not to overshadow the main message of the resurrection 
and repentance. And if we have not so emphasized it in the past, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for not being as accurate as we should be. Although it's already in Scripture, your instructions, and the apostles followed your instructions. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for the understandings that one of your key apostles stated from his mouth himself, whether it was in Damascus, Jerusalem, Judea, or to the Gentiles, he proclaimed the resurrection and he proclaimed repentance and that people should turn to God. Thank you, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Amen. Good morning.